I'm Helen Cross and this is the podcast which aims to give you ideas and inspiration to get more children into the garden and growing and into the kitchen and cooking from scratch. On today's episode I'll be sharing my interview with gardener, writer, beekeeper and soap maker Tanya Anderson ahead of the publication of her new book A Woman's Garden. Plus I have some exciting news if you want to give growing a pumpkin a go this year and I have a recipe for orange butterfly cakes which will take you on a trip down memory lane. everyone is really well and I also hope your seedlings which you have started to sow over the last couple of weeks are beginning to make an appearance too. Fear not if they've not started to make an appearance because many of mine haven't because in fact up here in Scotland we have had very little sunshine but hopefully in the coming weeks as spring is just around the corner our seedlings will start to make an appearance. Our house is, however, filled with sweet pea seedlings. So if all else fails, then at least we'll have fragrant blooms throughout the summer. And later on next month, I'll be showing you how to make a sweet pea teepee in the garden, which is a great activity to do with children. Now, today is National Plant a Flower Day. And so I thought, given that this is the case, we would start our family sunflower competition this weekend using the seeds we were kindly gifted by from Samantha from Seedsology. So why not kick off your sunflower race this weekend too? All you'll need are sunflower seeds, some compost, and you'll also need something to grow your seeds in. So you could use an old yogurt tub, just make sure you've got some holes in the bottom or even an egg carton. And once you've planted them up, lightly water them and pop them on the windowsill and watch them grow. Now, my top tip for growing sunflowers, this is a little bit further down the line when you're ready to plant them outside, is that if you're growing giant ones, then I recommend you grow them into the ground and add in some sheep manure. This will really, really set a rocket up them and they'll be reaching up for the sun in no time at all. Now, my regular listeners will know that we are a bit mad for pumpkins in this house. And this all came about after I visited Lucy Calder and her family at Kilduff Farm in East Lothian in October 2019. Now, Lucy was our very, very first guest on the podcast last year. And this year, they are launching a very, very special pumpkin box which will be delivered to your doorstep and you'll be able to grow your very own pumpkin from home. Now this will go on sale on Monday the 15th of March and in the box you will receive pumpkin seeds and compost to get you started plus there are nasturtium and sunflower seeds which are companion plants for um, pumpkins. There's also plant markers, growing instructions and recipes colouring in pencils and activity sheets and much, much more. Basically everything you need to get you growing your own pumpkin from home and allowing you to take your pumpkin from your very own patch to your kitchen dinner plate. Now, to find out more, make sure you are following them on Instagram at kilduff underscore farm or you can visit their website 
www.kilduff.co.uk. The team will also be sharing tips and videos and they will be on standby to help you on your pumpkin growing adventure. Now, as I know, pumpkins are fickle, fickle creatures and I'll be talking more about them next month. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak with the lovely Tanya Anderson as she prepares to publish her new book, A Woman's Garden. It provides an insight into the gardens of eight women from across the world. And it's a bit different from your normal gardening books. It's also jam-packed, full of ideas for you to try in your own space at home, including an edible flower frittata, soaps and a strawberry planter as well as paper leaf lanterns it really demonstrates how useful plants and flowers can be and as today is national plant of flower day it's really worth a listen hi tanya how are you very good. Hi, Helen. Hi, hi. How are you? Very, very good. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly. doesn't matter where you are in the world these days. I can talk to anybody. <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> oh, well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Um, I'm really excited to chat with you uh, on today's show. Um, so I think basically, let's start off with uh, who is Tanya Anderson behind um, Lovely Greens? I am a gardener, an organic gardener, a beekeeper. I'm a beauty producer. I'm based on the Isle of Man, although you can obviously tell that I'm American, North American. I'm American. Um, and, but I've been in Britain almost 20 years now, and I rediscovered a passion for gardening when I lived in London some years ago. And now I am a gardening personality. I have a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. I have a popular website and social media. And I've just now written a book as well. Which is a very, very beautiful book, which I was lucky enough to get my hands on yesterday. So I'm really looking forward to chatting about, about that too. So you've got lots of various different hats on, um, very creative, very talented. Um, and actually, my love for gardening probably started around about the time when we lived in London as well, because we were lucky enough to live right beside Kew Gardens. And that honestly has sparked wow, something yeah. in me going forward as well. Uh, so that's really interesting. But what took you to the to the Isle of Man, and what was it about London that sort of started this this passion? It well, in London, I had quite a, a stressful job. I was uh, I used to design mobile phone interfaces. Oh and wow! I know, completely <laughs> different. I didn't have any garden at all, nothing, no pots, a few houseplants really. And then when, when I would, well, it was about, I guess, 13 years ago, uh -huh. I just saw a gardening television program, Gardener's World, obviously, on the BBC. <laughs> and I was absolutely taken with it and it reminded me of how I grew up gardening. And so yeah. I, I had a bit of a garden space at that time. And so I started getting stuck in again. And then I got hooked and I started remembering all of the things that I had grown up with. And that's what got me started on this journey. And I've never looked back. 
Well, I was not expecting you to tell me that you worked with mobile telephones. That has <laughs> because the, the two sort of careers and industries could not be sort of further apart, really. I think, I think that you'll find that a lot of people these days, we start off in something else, something that sounds like a good idea for a career, and then yes. have the opportunity <laughs> to go down a different road. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And why the Isle of Man? It was a random choice, to be honest. I was desperate to get out of London, just to be out in the country somewhere. And there were various places discussed and the Isle of Man was the choice. And I love it here. Absolutely love it. So I, I've never been to the Isle of Man, I have to admit. But what, what has life been like for you there over the last year? Well, we are back in lockdown right now. But for a good part of last year, there were no restrictions here at all other than travel okay. restrictions. So it's still that people who are in the UK cannot travel here. And we were able to keep COVID off the island from May of last year until December. And then we've had a couple of resurgences. And so mm -hmm. it's all it's all very, we're all very practical. We're used to it now. But mm -hmm. we did have a good stint of basically being literally an island of normality in a sea of COVID restrictions all around us. And for that, for having last summer, I was, I feel really grateful. Yeah, so is there a real sense of community on the island? And has that sort of um, been magnified over the last 12 months? Yes, for sure. It is small. It's a crown dependency here. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. only about 85,000 people total who live on the island. Okay. So when your country yep. is only 85,000 people, you get to know the same faces again and again. And, and yes, there's definitely a sense of community here that I've not felt elsewhere, at least not for a very long time. Well, yeah, you've gone from London with a population of eight plus million people to, to the Isle of Man. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a big jump. It's a big jump. So... What is the thinking about this beautiful new book, which is called A Woman's Garden? And it is absolutely beautiful. It's full of inspiring projects, things to make uh, from the garden. You've got soap making, you're dyeing wool with onions. And there's a very beautiful and colourful recipe for um, edible flower frittata, which just looks too good to eat, <laughs> I have to admit. <laughs> but what, what was the thinking? Because it's quite, it's quite different uh, to your sort of more recognized normal gardening books which I which I love about it well that's that's my aim that's my goal because what I've found since starting my own gardening journey and I have I connect with a lot of people on social media and I can see what other people are doing and what I've noticed is that in real gardens a lot of people are focusing on growing plants that have multiple purposes whether they be for privacy for um ornamentation, for food, for medicine, that there are a lot of multi-purpose plants out there. And that women in particular seem to have taken this up and are doing all kinds of incredible things with plants, making. And what I wanted to do with my book is, it's not a book that says that this is every woman's garden. It's a book that says, this is the garden of a particular woman and there are eight featured including myself and this is what we grow and make with it and it's an it's an idea it's something to stimulate 
creative juices and to show what's possible with the plants that we can grow in our gardens and how we can use them to create connection. And I think that's the thing I like about it because the gardens don't seem out of reach of normal back gardens as well. I think there's something in each of the eight women's gardens that you can take and try yourself as well. And it doesn't seem too daunting. Was that also sort of part of, of your thinking as well? It is very, it is very deliberate. So each, mm -hmm. each of the women that I featured, first of all, none of them are published authors. I did that deliberately mm -hmm. in order to give them more of a platform as well. So supporting one another, but also mm -hmm. the largest space that anyone there has to really garden with is I think a quarter of an acre. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are actually growing on allotments. And so it shows a realistic view as to what you can achieve and how beautiful and also low cost it can be as well. Yeah, that, that also appeals to me because a lot of what we do in our garden is quite thrifty and we sort of upcycle, recycle and repurpose a lot of things that we use to grow as well. And I especially do that with the boys as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I love that um, it's available to everybody and that really shines through in, in each of, of the pages. What, what was your favourite part of it, to, uh, writing, writing the book? Some of the topics are relatively new to me. So for example, using plants to naturally dye wool and fabric. And the, I, I had the outline for this book done and I had all these plants to travel to the UK and take a course from uh, a, an author who writes about using plants to naturally dye and all of this amazing stuff to actually learn how to do it myself. And then COVID hit and our island shut its borders so I couldn't leave. And what was incredible is that I, I found people here within the community and that connection with other people that were already here on the Isle of Man that I, weren't, I wasn't really aware of at that point, who were growing plants already for natural dyeing and using them for uh, local textile artwork and just weaving and making within their own homes. And so that really opened up my eyes to not only natural dyeing and all the plants that we can grow but also if you look closely at wherever you live even if it's someplace as small as the Isle of Man there is going to be a wealth of resources of skills and experience and people to connect with. Yeah I was, I was going to say and as a result of that you will have made new friendships and built new relationships as well which I think is quite a key part to gardening to be honest and that has really shone through um, even in our neighbourhood on the south of Glasgow over the last 12 months, there's a real connection. People connect over, over plants and food, um, which is something I really, really loved and taken that as a positive as well um, from the pandemic, to be honest. Gardening is um, one of those things so, yeah. that I think that if you try to do it yourself and with no help and no, I guess, communication and connection with other people, it can be a daunting and very expensive pastime but as soon as you start speaking with people and connecting with them sharing plants sharing knowledge it becomes something that connects all of us to one another it helps lighten mm -hmm. the burden financially and also I think helps to create even more appreciation for our growing spaces 
Yeah, no, totally, totally. So there's obviously been a huge rise in the number of people who have taken an interest in gardening and just also the natural world around us, even the natural world on our doorstep. But what top tips would you give um, for people starting out this year in terms of, of growing and growing their own and their own flowers? I would say that the first place to start is to learn more about soil and to learn more about what plants need and how to support your soil. And I think this is one of the major things that beginners overlook in, in that they just expect dirt to be dirt. And as soon as you start understanding soil and plants relationship with it and all the microorganisms, then you start understand, <clears throat> understanding better what plants and soil needs. And that will start you off on a really good path to growing flowers and veg and everything really successfully. Cool. So what was your inspiration into gardening? Like you talked about, obviously, you went to London, but before that in America, were, were there people that have inspired that it's become back now into fruition into your own life now? It's family members, primarily. And I grew up on a small island in the United States on the West Coast. And even to this day, my family is a, a bit more rural and quite a bit more in uh, leaning towards farming and gardening. And mm -hmm. I remember just amazing weekends with my grandparents and my grandmother, my grandma Gladys in particular, and just the amazing garden she grew. And just that experience of being a child and going out and picking Swiss chard and picking raspberries and digging potatoes. Even though I wasn't as involved with the actual day-to-day -day gardening as a child, the harvesting and the using of plants has, I think, really solidified my happy memories of being with my grandparents and also brought me back to growing plants myself and recreating that sense of connection. And so that's my, my main inspiration. No, totally. Uh, similarly, I grew up on a farm as well. And I think now that I have my own family and I'm trying to sort of bring a bit of the countryside into our back garden in, in a city, <laughs> which um, is it's easier than, than you think it might be, actually. Um, but no, there's definitely I want to make that connection with the kids and, and nature as well. Um, what's next, Tanya, after after this book? Because um, I don't feel that you, you can stop just here. <laughs> I, ha I have lots of ideas, but I think for the rest of this year, I'm going to focus on the book and and helping, helping people to see what is within its pages. And I also have plans for lots more videos on my YouTube channel as to how to use plants and some of the projects in the book as well, just showing how you can use certain plants to naturally color soap, how you can use plants to make tinctures and things like this. A relatively simple and safe projects for people to try at home and ways to learn how to use plants in useful and, and creative purposes. I'm definitely going to, we grow pumpkins and um, I'm definitely <laughs> going to try using pumpkin puree to, to colour soap. That is definitely on my, uh, on my to-do list. Are there any projects that you would like to talk us through that, um, that we could possibly try over the, the coming weeks? Well, the, well, we could talk about the pumpkin uh, puree idea, for example. I think a lot of us who grow yeah. pumpkins and squash will still have a small mountain of them somewhere in the house. I do. 
<laughs> You're very lucky. Might have all been eaten. Have to have they? I well, I yeah. I grew baked potato squash this last year, and okay, we have I think probably seven or eight left of those, and then also I grew some um some pumpkin seeds that we got at our our seed swap. I organize a seed swap every year, and someone had brought in oh. self saved seeds, and it had a variety listed it was very clear this is the type of pumpkin and I was very dubious that it wasn't cross-pollinated and I, but I thought I'm gonna give it okay. a go and guess what okay. it was definitely cross-pollinated with a courgette so I've got a couple of <laughs> what I call pumpkinies left as well and but they have a really gorgeous orange flesh this one now with, okay. with making handmade soap, it is it is natural chemistry. And I'm a, a soap maker. I teach soap baking lessons here on, on the Isle of Man and also online too. And oh. making soap, you use raw ingredients like oils and butters, and you put it through a natural chemical process where those oils saponify. So they transform into soap, which is its own type of, uh, of um, a product essentially. It's you cannot separate the the lye and the, the oils at that point, but you can add so many extra ingredients to handmade soap to scent it, to add texture, to add decoration and to naturally color it, too. And there are many different ways that you can use plants in that in that aspect. Now, pumpkin. It, if you use a little bit of the puree, so I'm talking like a tablespoon of the puree in the smallest medium-sized batch it can naturally color your soap a really lovely sunny yellow it won't turn out the orange that you might have originally but it will be a really lovely yellow but if you wanted to use other ingredients to make an orange soap to add into your pumpkin you could use things like annatto seeds which you can infuse into some of the liquid oils that you use in, in your soap so there are many different ways to add plants into a handmade soap recipe. You can add some of the pulverized powder of the leaves or flowers directly in. You can infuse seeds. You can make a puree of the flesh. It's, it is a skill in a, and an interest that goes far beyond just one single recipe. Just like with naturally dyeing fibers and, and cloth, once you, you try one project, like the onion dyeing project that I have in the book, yeah. which is so incredible to see happen. And it is so incredibly easy, which is why I put it in the book. You'll just be hooked. You'll be looking at all the plants in your garden that you already grow in a new light because so many of them can be used for purposes that you had no idea. Yeah, no, totally. There's more to them than just being able to make a pot of tea. There's it, and that comes through in the book. There, there's so many things you can do. It's fantastic. I see a, a whole book just on soap making. To be honest, Tanya. oh yeah, for <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah, my my, my website, oh, my website, lovelygreens.com is. I would say it's about fifty percent soap making and beauty, and different crafts, and then the other half is gardening. And so this, the my book, I wanted to really tie that together in a physical way that people could hold and refer back to and I think that it's it's really gotten a lot of people excited which I'm delighted to see thus far. No and also a lot of what I do in the kitchen and in the garden I try and do to involve my three boys but actually this book has got me me thinking that I need to sort of carve out a corner of the garden that is just for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
definitely there has to be more about me and a little bit of a of self-care <laughs> area for me so I think I'm definitely gonna gonna carve oh, that I'm out glad. this summer I'm glad. definitely now moving slightly to a different direction obviously we've not been able to socialize over the last year but in the near future hopefully we will be able to so I'm going to ask you about your dream dinner party uh, for the future now where would this be located Tanya what's going to be on the menu and who is going to come for you supper? didn't give me any forewarning <laughs> for this <laughs> put me on the spot jeez <laughs> I love that reaction. It's what I get from everyone. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you for certain that that dream dinner party would not happen on the Isle of Man because I've not left in over a year. <laughs> so it would definitely be really far abroad, you know, like England. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think it would be fun. I, I've always wanted to go to Cornwall. I would love, and it's it's actually very similar mm -hmm. to the Isle of Man, so I'm going really far here, aren't I? <laughs> I, would, I would love to do a dinner party in Cornwall, and I would like to try some local fare there. And, oh my gosh, with a dream, who, who would I have at my, at my dinner party? Well, first of all, I would invite all three of the women that I feature in my book, because I was not able to meet mm -hmm. with them as planned because of COVID. Oh, okay. I was supposed to go to each one of their gardens to take pictures and video and interviews and all of that. And then COVID hit. And so I, I've not been able to do oh. that. So those three ladies, 100%. And actually I would invite everyone else who wasn't even in the UK to come as well. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, cool. And what's gonna be on the menu? What's gonna be on the menu? I would have I would ask the chef to use local ingredients to make the recipes in my book, <laughs> including the mojitos. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm all for the mojitos. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Now, where can we get hands on this beautiful new book, A Woman's Garden, and when is publication day? Mm -hmm. And obviously you can pre-order um, but where can we get our hands? On Publication date is different based on where you are in the world. So for example, my book has already been released okay. in Australia. And if you've ordered okay. through Book Depository, they ship from Australia everywhere. And so I know people who, who live in Korea and Finland and South America who already have my book. And also in the UK, the publication date is April 6th. And you can order from... Okay. I think all of the major online booksellers and also quite a few okay. independent bookshops as well on the Isle of Man. There's a couple of local bookshops that have my book on order. And then in North America, so the USA and, and Canada, it's going to be in the middle of April now. And that's due to a really terrible issue with worldwide shipping. It uh, was just reported on, I think yesterday or over the weekend by the New York times. It's just been a real headache with the, with publication dates, but it's on its way to the USA and it will definitely be out in the UK for April the 6th. Brilliant. Now for people listening in the UK, I recommend that you pre-order a copy ahead of Mother's Day. That is my <laughs> top tip. And for all um, people listening, for, for mums out there. I think it would make a really special, special gift. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. I wish you lots of luck um, with this book. And I really hope you can get all the women together around, around a table in Cornwall in the not 
too distant future because that would be a fabulous dinner party oh, absolutely I think so too it would be absolutely amazing have everyone in one room yeah no I am looking forward to thank that you. to that day. thank that you for having me on your show <laughs> Helen not at all Tanya I really appreciate you taking the time all right all right take you care too. bye 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 Last week, we spoke about the types of flowers you could grow from seed to attract pollinators into your garden. And I'm already excited to see the bees and the butterflies again this year. However, until then, today's recipe will have to suffice. But today's recipe really is a nostalgic trip down memory lane. And it was one of my favourites when I was growing up. And hopefully it might become one of your children's favourites too. It is orange zest butterfly cakes. And this is a great thing to do over the weekend after you've all planted your sunflower seeds. So to begin with, you will need to line a cupcake tree with eight cases and preheat your oven to about 180 degrees Celsius. You'll need to begin by sifting 115 grams of self-raising flour, half a teaspoon of baking powder, and add in 115 grams of softened unsalted butter into a mixing bowl, along with 100 grams of coconut sugar, or you can use caster sugar. I just happen to have coconut sugar in the baking cupboard, and actually, it makes a recipe taste really caramelized, so it's really worthwhile giving it a bash if you can get your hands on some coconut sugar. Add into that two eggs and the zest of one orange and two tablespoons of milk. Beat the ingredients all together in your electric mixer and then divide the mixture between the eight cases. Now, bake this for about 15 minutes until they are golden brown and leave them to cool completely. Now, for the icing, in your electric mixer, beat together 115 grams of butter and 115 grams of icing sugar. And if you want to make it less sweet, you could add in a tablespoon of soft cream cheese. Now, once the cupcakes have cooled down and are cold, now is the time to cut the top off each one and then cut the top in half to make the wings. And then divide your icing between the cakes and add on the wings and voila! you have got your homemade butterfly cakes for the weekend. Enjoy. Thank you again for listening and a special thank you to Tanya Anderson for being today's guest. Next week, we'll be heading down to the woods as we go on the hunt for wild garlic, a sure sign that spring is here at last. Until then, keep growing and cooking.